Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode 147 of the Fantrax Tool Shed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store today with two outstanding guests. And with me, as usual, is my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, bud? Not much. It's an exciting episode. We get to talk some Florida Complex League, and these two see it all. They go out to a lot of games, so it's going to be a, a fun episode to hear their perspective on what they've seen as they've seen a lot of these players live. So I'm excited. You know, it's, we're recording this on, on Wednesday actually prior to release and you know, Gunnar Henderson got the call. Corbin Carroll got the call. Henderson homered. You know, that's been awesome. So it's prospects are you know making waves right now. So we're going to talk about the next wave that could be you know, on the rise soon. So I'm looking forward to this discussion. Absolutely, as am I. Let's bring on those two guests. They are the co-hosts of the Florida Prospect Pod. That's at FL Prospect Pod. First, Mr. Bailey Srebnik. You can follow him on Twitter. And by the way, I think this is one, this is one of my favorite Twitter handles ever. It's XWOBA and then finish off the name Bailey. So X-W-O-B-A-I-L-E-Y. Great, great Twitter handle. And he is the king of the player selfies. There's Look at his, what do, you call, what do you call that thing? The banner, I guess, at the top of the profile. All You got one with Gunner, I think. You got all these guys. So go give him a follow. Great, great prospect mind. Again, Bailey Srebnik. Bailey, how are you doing? Doing well. Thank you so much for having me on and for the introduction. I appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Is there any player you don't have a selfie with <laughs> at this point? A few, but you know, <laughs> most of the guys I want, I've been able to meet. That's awesome. I see like, your dad's and some of them too. That's that's awesome. How many games do you think you and your father have been to over the years? You know, the funny yeah. thing is I actually have, have it in my notes. Like I keep track of every game I've been to. So oh, I nice. couldn't pull it up. Uh, it would take me two seconds, but yeah. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll bring on our other guest while you pull that up. He is the other co-host of the Florida Prospects Pod, one of the biggest Baltimore Orioles fanatics around. It's even in his handle, at Eric underscore Birdland. Mr. Eric Garfield. Eric, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Thanks for having both of us. And it's very appropriate we're going to talk about the low minors because the player that got me interested in following this level of baseball so many years ago was actually Gunner, who debuted tonight 
and, and hit his home run. So uh, I'm ready to talk about the, the SEL and the low minors. And my guess for Bailey and Toby's amount of games is going to be a little over in, 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 in the thousand range, right around the thousand. I was going to put the over under at 500, but I'm assuming it's going to be way over that. <laughs> it was, I mean, a little high. It was uh, 193, but I mean, okay. you know, still pretty way good. Off. That's that's still a ton, though. You think about that, like, you know, I feel like I go to a lot of minor league games, but you know, I don't, I don't know if I've gone to 193s yeah, <laughs> like I mean, over the last few years. You know, so yeah, that's like a, that's close, a good bit. Yeah, I mean, the closest stadium to us is like about an hour, so I mean, we can only go like about once a week, but so yeah, pretty good. Now, what is that a minor league stadium? Or are you talking major league stadiums? Minor league, yeah, Ro- Roger Dean Stadium in Jupiter, and then pretty okay. much same distance to Marlins Park in Miami for us. Okay, nice, nice. Yeah, I got a 15 minute drive to Portland and then two hours down to Boston. Well, depends on Boston traffic, but it's always fun to get out the games. You know, that's why we're that's why we're here today, talking the sport we love and talking some fun prospects in the low minors that you know, some of them are some some bigger names, some high draft picks, but other names are a little bit lower on you know the pecking order in terms of rankings. But we're gonna talk about them all. It'll be a very, very fun episode. But before we get into that, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at Eric Cross 04. Our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Bailey is at XWOBAILEY. And Eric is at Eric underscore Birdland. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. We always appreciate all of those reviews we get. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both Chris and I. And of course, check out all the other great work from the entire team over at Fantrax HQ. All right, we got a lot of fun names. Let's jump right into it. First name on the list, a Baltimore Oriole, not Gunner, a little bit lower down, but the number one overall draft pick, the best, you know, 12-year-old in the minor leagues right now, Jackson Holiday. He looks 12, right? Like, I'm not, it's not just me. He looks 12. Am, am, I, am I wrong on that? No, 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 no. His body has changed, but his face still yeah. has that youthful hue and like complete lack of shaving marks so right right he definitely, <laughs> but when he starts playing and when you stand near the cage when he when he swings you can tell like it's not that strange that he's transitioned into the into the pros and it just makes me feel old too because you know when i started playing fantasy baseball i'd say what 16 17 years ago like i remember drafting matt holiday and now his i'm taking his son in fypd drafts and you know, this year we also had what Carl Crawford's son, John. Who was the? I think that there was three in this draft. I'm I'm blanking on the third, but also obviously all the Vlad Juniors and Bo Bichette's, all these second generation stars, makes me feel old. But we are going to start with Jackson Holiday, the number one overall pick from the 2022 MLB draft. Kind of, you know, a guy that popped. He didn't really pop out of nowhere, but definitely had a great spring. Vaulted himself way up draft boards to that number one overall pick. He got 12 games in overall this year, eight at the complex level, four up in low A Carolina League. Overall, slash 297, 481, 432, twice as many doubles, uh, should be walks as strikeouts, 14 walks to just seven strikeouts. I'll kick it over to our resident Orioles fanatic here, Eric. What, what have been your thoughts so far on the number one overall pick, Jackson Holiday? He definitely looks like a leader. I was very pleasantly surprised when they made him the first pick. I thought it was going to be Drew Jones the, the whole way. So I was surprised in, in a positive way. And then when I watch him play, he's a full shortstop. He's not another infield position. He has great lateral range to both sides. 
excellent down to up. So very, very flexible. I guess that also comes with being young. So in the field, he really is like as close to a natural shortstop as there could have been other draft picks, other top draft picks like Tamar might be like less locked into a position. So Jackson's a shortstop. When it comes to offensively, his swing is picture perfect. How he gets there with the leg kick might be like a little bit too pronounced for me, like a little bit too big. So I think over the months as he develops, that's going to be reduced. But his ability to drive the ball and touch it in the, the fat part of the bat is as apparent as, uh, as a pro as it was in October when Bailey and I saw him at, uh, at the perfect game wood bat tournament. So definitely looks like an outstanding pick overall and very, very worthy of a 1-1 type selection so far. So you're thinking, you know, out of all these, you know, obviously Baltimore has a lot of guys that could play shortstop. Obviously Gunners played some short, Jordan Westbrook. So you think out of all these guys, the one with the highest likelihood of sticking there is Holiday? Oh, that's a totally different question. Well, he's he's 18, so the path between now and the majors might have a lot of adversity and other factors. But it looked, you know, Gunner was an infielder when he was drafted, not like a lockdown shortstop. Now he's in the pros, and he's not even a shortstop. He's playing at third tonight. So it might look that way today, but in 20 to 30 months, I don't know if it's going to be that clear. There's other guys. There's other other shortstops in the system that can kind of lay claim to it right now. Just Fred Ben Cosme, low minors, Joey Ortiz, high minors. So he's going to have to fight through some some talent. And, this, you know, again, for – for the Orioles and their supporters, this is a, a wonderful set of problems to have. Absolutely, yeah. They, they have so many talented, just in general, like this is a very talented farm system, especially they have a lot in the infield, obviously. You know, I had Kobe Mayo as well, so a lot of fun names here. It's going to be fun to watch this team develop over uh, the next handful of years. Bailey, what were your thoughts on Jackson Holiday? Yeah, so I had a pretty similar opinion to Eric on this. You know, we went to the Perfect Game Tournament back in October. I was firmly in the Drew Jones camp as well. And honestly, I think my backup choice would have been Tamar, but so far I'm loving the pick. I think Jackson is definitely a different player than he was a year ago. You know, just looking at the pictures up on our page, like he's really bulked up and absolutely destroyed the Florida Complex League. So yeah, just a really nice power speed combo and with the hit tool too. So I'm, you know, I think the Orioles once again nailed the uh, nailed the draft. Yeah, in eight games in the complex level, he got on base at a 576 clip. Again, just 33 point appearances, but 570, he had 10 walks to two strikeouts. That's just insane, showing that great approach right off the bat. Now, real quick before I throw it over to Chris, you guys, we 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 have Tamar Johnson on the list here as well. You know, I know it's really early on, but which prospect out of Tamar Johnson, Jackson Holiday, well, they're both drafted very similar range. I think in, in terms of fantasy FYPDs, people are taking them pretty close to each other as well. Which one do you like more moving forward between Holiday and Tamar Johnson? I'll go first. They both steal. Holiday steals more and looks like he'll have a better percentage. They're, they're both fast athletes and can steal, you know, lower minors. So I'll take that and the on-base package that Jackson has, has shown me so much. So they're close. You'll hear when we describe them. I put them quite close from FYPD, but Jackson by a little bit. And I like both of them. So that's not Orioles bias. That's actual objectivity. How about I'm you, trying, Bailey? Trying my best. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, I definitely agree. I'm going Jackson too, and I'm I'm not reading into Tamar's first 14 games at all. It's simply, yeah. I think if we're going upside for fantasy and you want power, you want speed. I think Jackson brings more of that to the table. I think Tamar has a better hit tool, even if he has a low batting average right now. But I would take either of them very early in a first year player draft. Yeah, I think they're for for me. It's I think Drew Jones was my one for FYPD, and I like Elijah Green. I know he's got a lower floor than maybe even these other two, but that those raw tools are just so impressive. And if he can get the hit tool to be even close to like fifty, it's gonna be a monsters. But I think then it's like after those two, for me, it's like I've gone back and forth so many times on on Holiday and and Johnson. Currently, I have Holiday. A smidge above. I think there's a little more category juice there for right. fantasy purposes. But yeah, I, I I echo a lot of what both of you just said. Like they're both obviously phenomenal talents. We're splitting hairs, you know, almost can flip a coin at this point in time. But yeah, both be very good. I've been very impressed with Holiday. Obviously, it's small sample size, but that's one thing I love seeing is just that approach from an early age. Is you know, if, if you got that approach, that's a great building block to have. So very very encouraged to see that right, the, right out of the gate. And another note on Holiday, very briefly, his first few games, he's not taking a lot of pitches. Like, his approach was clearly not college. It was high school. Something is happening within four pitches. So, even better to put up good small sample size statistics when you're mm-hmm. basically winning. Yep. Chris, what, what are your thoughts here? I don't have a lot to add. I kind of echo what you say. I mean, y'all have seen him live. I haven't. But, you know, I like the talent. I think you're dead on that he made a lot of progression this like spring during high school season really bulked up, really added to the power. And I think that's significant. He's still got the speed as well, which is good to hear that y'all have seen that. You've seen him in person and the OBP skills too. So it'll be a fun discussion as we look between him and Termar, you know, for fantasy purposes and what they end up looking like long-term. But yeah, I really do like holiday a lot. So Chris, Chris, do you have holiday ahead of tomorrow in your rankings? I forget w- which one order you had for these two. I can tell you in two seconds. I have holiday three and tomorrow four, but he's, okay. he's splitting hairs. Yeah, I believe I do as well. Yeah, I think I go Jones, Green, Holiday, Johnson. And then I have, you know, Delouders. I'm one of the highest in the world on Chase Delouder, but that's a topic for another day. The next one here, another Baltimore Orioles shortstop prospect. 17th rounder, his stock fell you know, a good amount. This was a guy being talked about, I believe, as a first rounder, potentially going into this past spring, or maybe at least an early round, second, third round pick. But he did fall. That's Carter Young, Vanderbilt University. Look at his final year at Vanderbilt. You know, He dropped down to 207, 327, 383 slash line, seven home runs and a pair of steals and 226 plate appearances. And then between... The complex level, four games, and low A, Delmarva for six games, 289, 319, 356 slash line. So, you know, 289 average, you got 13 hits in those 10 games. Bailey, kick it over to you first here. What have been your, your early thoughts on Carter Young? Do you think this is a guy that could make an impact at the major level someday? I think so. I don't think it's a guarantee, but uh, Eric and I were at Young's debut about two weeks ago. And he had two hits, one from each side of the plate. He's a switch hitter. But I was most impressed with his glove, actually. He made two really impressive tags on a pickoff attempt to nab the runner at second. And then my favorite play of the game in the field, he turned an unassisted double play. It was a line drive hit to him, and then he stepped on second base. I I was watching the game, and in live action, I was like, what just happened? Eric happened to be recording (laughs) the play, and he showed it back to me. Like, wow, that was smooth. So... I'm really impressed with him on defense, and 
you know, I, I liked what I saw from him as a hitter. Obviously, he's, you know, a college bat playing in rookie ball. So, you, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But I was impressed. I think, you know, Orioles are loaded at middle infield. So he has a lot to do to uh, break away from the pack. But I'm, I think it was a smart decision by the Orioles to go over slot for him. It's it's always fun when you're when you catch a nice defensive play on video when you you weren't even like obviously you can't you know anticipate those like I had one from back I think it was last month while I was I was Aurelvis Martinez at the plate so I was videoing him versus it must have been versus Kyle Hare no not Kyle oh Quinn Priester was on the mound that's it Quinn Priester was on the mound and then Aurelvis rips one to left and Leover Paguero just like had Michael Jordan type ups and just like robbed it from like. It looked like 10 feet in the air. I don't know how he got up there, but I just happened to catch that because I was filming the, uh, the at-bat to get Priester and, and Arelvis. So that was just a fun little extra you get sometimes in videoing. That, that's always fun to see. Eric, how about you? What have been your thoughts on Carter? I, I, I don't know if a major league career is on track, but I wouldn't say from what I've seen, I have any reason to think it's not. He looks definitely like he'll be very comfortable in the low minors and has already advanced the level and probably should. He shows pedigree in his movements, especially defensively. Not the physical specimen that Jackson is. Not as quick with the transfer. But as natural as Jackson looks at shortstop, Carter, to me, looks just as natural the other side of the pivot playing second. So a little stronger than he looks. And to be completely forthright, like, I know the Orioles system. I know they're overloaded with infielders. In the draft this year, they took two guys very late. And, I, it, it, you know, you could just tell looking at it that they were only going to sign one of them because they're high-pedigree players. Uh, Andrew Walters, the pitcher from Miami, and Young. And to be honest, I wanted the, the pitcher from Miami a little bit more. I think buying out his last year of college would have been a really prudent move. And next year, he's going to cost a little more, maybe be a little bit better. So uh, Young was the one of the two that I, I wanted the least, but I've been satisfied with what he did, again, in a, in a small sample size right in front of us. So not, not defensive first, but just so far better at defense. Gotcha. Chris, you know, in terms of FYPD, is there a point where you're maybe looking to draft Carter Young? Or is get, get, you probably got to get pretty deep to look at his name, huh? I like him. Um, fantasy, I'm not sure how relevant he will be. I think he's going to be like a decent real-life player more so than a fantasy asset. He did have a rough year, but I don't. I would kind of just ignore his stats last year at, at Vanderbilt. They even benched him towards the end of the season. But the talent's there. I mean, he had 16 home runs as a sophomore and had a, a 560 slug, which is pretty impressive. So I think that you know he's kind of just going to be like average across the board, but I think – in a later, like if you're getting deep in FIPD, like he's a name that people are going to kind of forget about. I think you can snag and and hope that he does develop because remember he was going to be transferring to LSU, which was interesting. Like they were just loading up on talent, but the Orioles kind of bought that out. So I do like Young, but you know it's gonna it's a deeper pick for FIPD purposes. Yeah, I think I would tend to agree with that. All right, let's shift over to the Pittsburgh Pirates couple of uh, pitchers. Well, one's a two-way player for now, but a couple of guys that Eric has had a chance to see this uh, this summer. Anthony Salamento and Bubba Chandler, both very intriguing prospects. You know, Bubba Chandler obviously is the two-way guy here. This year in 124 plate appearances, 
only hit 196, 331, 382, but did have four home runs and four steals. And on the mound, again, between the complex level, where he had five starts, 15 in the third innings, and then another 22 innings up in the Florida State League. 217 ERA, 118 whip, 27 walks to 54 strikeouts in 37 and a third innings. Salametto this year in Bradenton, 305 ERA, 107 whip across 30 in the third innings, 13 walks to 41 strikeouts. So, Eric, you saw them. I'll throw it over to you. What were your initial reactions with Salamento and Chandler, and which one do you like more going forward? I just listening to you read the innings, I actually think that I've seen almost all of those innings. It's really, really? not hot, <laughs> but I go to a lot of FCL and yeah. a lot of Brenton Marauders. I'm only 10 minutes away from there. So I guess we'll start with Bubba. He's very advanced as a pitcher. His throwing motion is near perfect. I filmed it in slow motion, and I filmed it in regular. So he throws like a high-flight quarterback recruit should. Every pitch <laughs> looks exactly the same, like down to the wrist. Fastball gets 98. He, you know, he can throw it up for strike three. His slider is tight. His curveball break is big. Probably needs to be refined and sharpened a little bit. But he has a lot of endurance as a hitter. He's probably not the same level as a pitcher, but as a pitcher, he shows, you know, he might he, he might be a one. He can last when he's healthy and when he's ready. He can last, you know, a, a star for him is not like a minor league star. He wants to go innings and he wants to be there for his team and wait for his team to get him the lead. So he shows a lot of like ace type quality. He has one home run at, at the Florida State League. He pulled it over the right field fence. So... I'm not seeing he, – he's actually listed on the roster as a DH, so I don't see a lot, a great deal of well-worked at-bats. It seems like as soon as he steps up, it's 0-2 or a less-than-favorable count, and he just doesn't have the hitting acumen to, to consistently dig out of those holes. So I'm not surprised his average is, is that low. Most guys that are in that situation, they usually figure it out by their second year in the minors – I'm a much better pitcher than I am. You know, you look at the stats and look at the results. So down down the road, he might not have a super high OPS, but he'll have a super low ERA and a lot of strikeouts per, per nine. So he, he, as a pitcher, he looks to be off to a great start. Solomedo is kind of different. The, the windup and delivery was really, really long when he got drafted, and people were critical of it. He has the same windup with less of a leg kick to initiate it. Doesn't work 98, probably 94. And he has a slider, but he doesn't use it as an out pitch. He usually finishes guys off with fastball locations. So I think in the offs, I mean, he's having, a, a, they're both having great years at the top of that Bradenton rotation. But I think in the offseason, he'll work slider, consistency, durability, core strength. So he has to use those legs a little bit more. But both of them are, are really off to, to great starts, and Pirates fans should be encouraged by what they brought this season in their their collective debuts. Now let me ask you real quick here. I'm sure if somebody just goes look at these the stats for a Bubba Chandler, they'll see you know 27 walks and 37 in the third innings. Does that concern you at all, or is it just he's young? He's the, all the other intangibles are there. Does that worry you at all? No, not even slightly. It's I guess I'd say it's somewhat surprising, but I don't see three-ball execution as a problem with him even a little bit. It's the minors. He's working on things, 
and all of his pitches are not what they do in the air between him and the catcher. It's not it's not refined. He's 19 years old. The throwing motion is clean, and when his pitches are located right, they'll beat any bat at his level. So, like I said, I'm somewhat surprised that it's high, but worry level is absolutely zero. Good to know. Good to know. Bailey, what are your thoughts on this dynamic duo here from Pittsburgh? Yeah, so unfortunately I haven't seen them in person yet. Hopefully the Marauders make the playoffs so they can come to Fort Myers and I can actually get a live look at them. But uh, I've been pleasantly surprised by uh, Bubba Chandler. It wasn't that I was low on him, but I just wasn't sure what to expect as a two-way player. And I'm still not sure what to expect as a hitter, but (laughs) everything I've seen from Eric's videos and just heard him say, I'm very impressed with Chandler. I think he could soon be thought of as highly as a guy like Quinn Priester. And Solomedo too, you know, he had a very loud mechanics, you know, with that windup, but he's gotten results this year as well. So I'm, I like both of them a lot and I think they're going to continue to rise. Chris, who do you, who do you like more? Bubba Chandler, Anthony Solomento. That's a tough one. I think that, yeah, I think if Chandler solely focuses on pitching, then I, I could see him really gain the edge, but solomedo has got some intriguing metrics that I like. And I think the, the strikeout rate could really even tick up more. You see him, Sitting at 26.6%, I could really see that ticking up past 30% because the metrics on his pitches are you know, pretty stunning. So I like Solomedo, and I think the upside's probably a little more. But also, we have to think about from Bubba, Bubba Chandler's standpoint, like this was a kid that was a like a big-time football recruit. And you know when we look at these athletes that play multiple sports, especially when they're extremely good in multiple sports, like when it's the first time they actually focus on something, like there could be a little bit of developmental period. And so for Chandler, I think he could progressively get better. Like he's the command is going to get better. The walk rates are going to get better. I'm not particularly worried about that. When you see him missing bats already, like yeah. you can work on the command type stuff when the stuff is there and you're missing bats. So I do like the upside with Bubba Chandler as well. Another good tidbit, real quick, for those who have Chandler already in Dynasty, I was very excited for his start last night. They're playing against Fort Myers. They're hosting Fort Myers, and they're in the race with him. So Bubba really only lasted five batters, and he was not on at all. The last batter was four straight pitches after he convinced the manager to keep him in. So he got pulled, and I'm friends with people on Bradenton, and I'm friends with the staff, so I asked right away, you know, what happened? We're all here to see to see Bubba. He didn't even got one out. And, you know, it wasn't wasn't pretty. So nothing to be concerned about. No arm, no shoulder. It was just stomach issues. So they're already a day later. Everything is already already fine. So he's already back on track. It was just a very, very temporary thing. If anybody like looked at the box score, <laughs> it was like, why, why did this happen? Or why did he come out so fast and was replaced by, you know, a, a, a different pitcher so early? There's yeah, that, that that's always the initial reaction. Regardless of level, you see a, you see a guy go like one, and you're like, oh no, what happened? Is there an injury of some sort? So yeah, good good to know that there's no injury there because yeah, Chandler Salamento. I have Chandler a, a bit ahead in my rankings, but I, I've moved both of them up, you know, a good amount this season from start to now. I think they're both very talented. I think they both have top 100 overall prospect upside by maybe even middle of next year. I like the Pittsburgh org in terms of player development. Obviously, they don't got. A lot to show for it quite yet at the major league level, but I still believe in Cabrian Hayes a bit. I still, you know, O'Neill Cruz is very, very talented, but flawed. But I like that system. You know, Ben Charrington has always been a great player development mind. Even here in Boston, you can question some of the 
decisions he made at the major league level, but he built this farm system after yep. Dombrowski depleted it. So, uh, yeah, that's and one it's thing. it's still pretty I, good. It's still very good, yeah. So, luckily, you know, High and Bloom has kind of taken that over and done some good moves as well. So, yeah, Jarrington, Pittsburgh, I like that org. A lot of fun players throughout that Pittsburgh system, top to bottom. And these are, these are two of the most exciting in that system for sure. Let's move over to another exciting young hitter, one that Bailey has seen in Yiddy. Is it Cappy or Cape? I'm I'm oh, not okay. I've Cape. Okay. So I I've, I used to say Cappy, but I've heard more Cape now. I want to make sure I'm saying these names right. So Yiddy Cape, which is one of my this is a fun name to say. You can't say Yiddy Cape and not smile a little bit. It's just a fun name. But 6'3, 175. Right-handed batter, played some short, some third, was sent out of Cuba a couple of years ago, debuted last year for 55 games in the Dominican Summer League. This year played oh, about equal time between low A and the complex level and hit pretty well at both levels, showed a bit more power at the complex level. But overall, 299, 340, 462 slash line, 12 doubles, 8 home runs, 13 steals as well. 14 walks, 35 strikeouts. This is in 256 plate appearances. Again, basically split between the two levels. Bailey, you know, there's been a, you know, obviously there was, he was a fairly big name back when he signed. You know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of fun tools there. It should people be getting pretty excited about Yidi Kepe here? I think definitely. Kind of reminds me of Jose Salas in 2021. So last year in the sense that he's younger than the competition and is not necessarily putting up like earth-shattering numbers, but that the body of work is clearly there and that he will get better. Like you said, he tore it up in the complex league this year. And when he first got promoted to Jupiter, he did something crazy. It was like 50 or so plate appearances without a strikeout. I don't remember the specific stat. I was trying to pull it up. And he had, he's rocking a 293 batting average, so hitting the ball well, still striking out less than 13% of the time. So he has a really good eye at the plate, really good bat. It's just a matter of drawing more walks and hitting for more power. Just two home runs in his first month in Jupiter, and one of those home runs was an inside the Parker. But, you know, like I said, he's pretty young. So I think next season he's going to have – we're going to see a lot more power out of him. And that's pretty exciting when you look at his hit tool. Yeah, he's a, he's one where you know everyone's always talked about the tools. So he's starting to looks like he's starting to really put it all together. Like you said, maybe add a little bit more power next year. But it looks like he's got some projection left in that frame as well. So I think he definitely could add that power. It definitely very exciting. And he's, again, Marlin system too. A lot of fun names in that system. You know, everyone talks about all the the pitchers, obviously as they should. But there's some fun names, especially in the lower levels of the minor leagues for for Miami. So yeah, and and Cape is definitely one of them. Eric, did you have any thoughts on Yudi Kepe? I, I I do remember very early in his development, Bailey was the one that told me he might be a little more power speed than he appears like an Ellie De La Cruz Jr. So, so far, like a lot of prospects, Bailey was pretty right. And Cap will be better, but he's shown baseball skill and acumen. So he'll be better and do more with the ball as he gets a, a little bit bigger. Chris, any thoughts on Yudi Kepe? Where do you do you where do you know where you have him in your rankings? And do you think he's a guy that is you know top one hundred by middle of next year? I think so. I think that he certainly hits that, and he's kind of on that trajectory already where he's really flying up rankings. 
Yeah, he's going to be in my 150 range as I'm updating now. It could move up even more, but I think the profile certainly suggests that he could continue to bump up. I mean, his performance was great at the complex, but that's really continued even into low A. Not walking as much as you'd like to see, but you know, if you're not striking out, then it doesn't matter. He's putting a lot of balls into play. I think we we can live with the kind of walk rates he's putting up if he's striking out at 12.9% rate. I mean, that's impressive bat-to-ball skills. You're not chasing often. The power speed has been there for sure. So I, maybe I should go a little, even a little higher on him. But yeah, top 100 is certainly in the cards, I think, by next season. Yeah, I think I was a bit low on him. I think I'm going to move him up in the... You know, I'm trying to look at some similar players in that area of my rankings. I think like that 125, 130, 135 range is pretty solid for him. So I've some other similar, you know, level guys in that range. So I think I'll definitely be bumping him up a good amount as well. And yeah, I love that power speed one. Obviously, that's what everyone loves to look at in terms of for fantasy purposes. Obviously, that that drives a lot of value. So looks like he's got it. Bailey's confident there'll be more power there. So you know, take it from people that have actually seen these guys live. So. Bailey thinks there's going to be more power. Expect more power. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Support for Fantrax Toolshed is brought to you by Manscaped, who is best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and they recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. So join over 5 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off, plus free worldwide shipping using the code toolshed at manscaped.com. The Performance 4.0 package has arrived, and it's a game changer. Inside this package, you will find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver ball deodorant, the Crop Reviver toner, the Performance Boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. The Lawnmower 4.0 is the new trimmer in the future of grooming and the greatest ball trimmer ever. I'm absolutely blown away by its performance and its craftsmanship. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Also has a 4000 K led spotlight you need for your most precise shaves. And because it's waterproof, you can use it in the shower and say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was great, but manscape takes it even a step further. It has includes the weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. It also provides the same proprietary skin-safe technology to reduce nicks and snags, and is also waterproof. The Crop Preserver Below-the-Waist Deodorant and Crop Reviver Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine. And Manscaped even throws in two free gifts for you in the 4.0 package, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. So bring your comfort in boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping using the code TOOLSHED. That's right. It's time to get some new tools for your shed. Get 20% off and free shipping using the code TOOLSHED at manscaped.com. All right. Welcome back from the break. Let's get right back to it. All right, gentlemen. I need you guys to make me feel a little better about my Boston Red Sox first round pick here. I was getting flashbacks to there's like Nick York, the sequel here. Obviously, you know, York has you know, worked out for the most part here, but another kind of head scratching first round pick by my Boston Red Sox. That's Mikey Romero, another California prep. It's like this organization has like this focuses on California prep middle infielders for some reason. They just love going out there. Again, it worked with York, but it makes another pick that made me scratch my head. 24th overall. 
Again, middle infielder from Orange Lutheran High School, which I believe is the same high school that Cole Wynn went to, if I recall correctly. That sounds very familiar. But in his first taste of the major leagues here, again, small sample size, but in let's look at the complex levels. He had one game at the Carolina League as well. And 43 plate appearances, 250, 372, 417, seven walks to four strikeouts, had three doubles and a home run with a steal as well. You know, Bailey, I'll kick it over to you first here. What are your initial thoughts on the Red Sox first round pick, Mikey Romero? Yeah, so I've seen him play once and he had five bats. He got out in first four, so it was a little disappointing, but the, the FCL Red Sox rallied, and he got up again in the ninth, and I got to see him launch his first career home run. So I certainly like the uh, power I've seen there. Going off the stats, obviously, you know, he was a 124 WRC plus is very promising. You know, and the uh, high walk rate, low strikeout rate, uh, good things to see. You know, he's only played one game in low A, so not a lot to go off of. But I like the Red Sox development staff. You know, it was kind of a lost year for Nick York, but obviously – Last year was a big breakout. So I think, you know, who's to say Mikey Romero doesn't go down the same path next year and has a really good year. So I would I would trust the Red Sox to know what they're doing based off the York pick. That's one thing I do trust with the Red Sox right now. I, I talked with on my, my new other podcast, I talked with Jake Devereaux about some of the questionable calls at the major league level lately. But one thing they have done well, like I mentioned, with Charrington and, and now with Heim Bloom is, you know, this went from being a at least a bottom ten farm system, maybe even bottom five. You know, after we graduated all those guys about you know seven eight years ago to the major leagues, to probably flip flop that. I think many would consider them easily top ten, maybe even top five. But especially the, the pitching side of things, you get Bayo and then you know some decent guys after that. But a lot of it, obviously, the star power, quote unquote, is on the hitting side of things. So I'm hoping here. I'm keeping an open mind here. Like I said. The Nick York pick, it worked out for the most part. So I'm hoping that can happen with Mikey Romero as well. Eric, what are your thoughts on Romero? Well, first of all, when you said it's worked for drafting infielders from California, the name I thought you were going to say is Marcelo Meyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, well, it, it's worked out really well for them and and, and for him. I don't know if, if Romero is going to profile like that. He's certainly when he gets big, not going to be as big as as tall and, like, broad as Meyer is. So it's a different physical profile. I guess really what you're looking for right now is, is he going to make contact and can he lift the ball? Because there's a lot of guys in the minors that are supposed to be good hitters. Some of them even went to college, and they can't drive the ball past the power alleys. He already can. Like, he, the first hit he showed me was a deep, deep double that I thought was going to be gone. It was in the air for a long time. The outfielder just couldn't get to its path. So that was the first time I saw him swing at all. So hitting and driving the ball is not an issue at this level of the minors. Salem is has a good thing going this season, so I expect him to transition well to that. It's not like they're going to be depending on him for runs or, or run production. He'll just be part of a, a, a pretty decent line, an above-average lineup. In the field... I watched the FCL Red Sox, and their infield defense was very, very tight. Leando at second, Ravello at shortstop. So when he came in, he did not move as well to hawk rounders as, as they did. But they really set a very high standard, and I only got to watch him for, for three games. So there are a couple grounders that I was like, wow, if he had extended range, 
he would have got to that, that the Orioles punched through for hits. But this, this, this was his actual first professional game. So I know I'm being overly critical, but I'm just trying to share everything I saw. So more positives than, than negatives. But again, I, I go to so many games and I see so many guys that are that size that can make consistent contact and really, really can't lift it. Like Noah Miller in Fort Myers is a great example. He can touch anything he wants to. But when he needs like a, a deep double or something to, to like drive in or continue a rally, he's a, a tough guy to depend on for that. Romero already looks like he can provide that right off the bat, not a baseball pun. That sounds good. I'm liking what I'm hearing from you two. So thank you again. This is why this is why uh, I wanted to ask you, gentlemen. I wanted to make me feel a little bit better about that first round pick. It wasn't well, we so watch much the like, games. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Got to watch the games, and it wasn't so much the you know the talent that was a question. It was just like, all right, we already have so many infielders here. I was hoping to go pitcher or wherever it may be, but kind of like you, I was gonna what you were saying about Carter Young, where it's like. You know, I wanted to see them go a different direction with with that pick. There was a lot of good pitchers on the board at that time. I remember, so it, it's kind of just made me like, really, we're we're going down this path again. But anyway, Chris, you know, I just pulled up our uh, FYPD rankings here. We did. We had Romero. The consensus or combined ranking was fifty third. You had him fifty third on the dot. I had him fifty ninth. You think he's a guy that maybe we were a little low on? You think we should be moving him up here in our next update? Possibly, because it's the exact same scenario with Nick York, and we kind of know how that turned out. I I think I like Roman Anthony as much, like if not more. So it'll be interesting to see how those two really kind of shake out. But just from a from a, what I've seen prior, I don't know. Do you guys have anything on on Roman Anthony? I do. I watched him play in all the games. He's a lot bigger than I thought he would be in person coming out of high school a great deal all shoulders and back and he moves very very well in the outfield again first impressions but like it's hard for me to look at like Adley and Gunner distinctly separately because they're drafted right next to each other in the same draft I put Anthony and Romero in the same group Red Sox fans are going to like watching them rise and produce together i think i had anthony i'm trying to pull up here uh, overall we had anthony two spots behind but i had him 51 and chris you had him 66 so okay. yeah they're both overall in the same range but yeah maybe we were a little bit low on mikey romero so glad uh, that we got some some encouraging yeah. reports here from oh, yeah. eric and bailey all right moving over to junior Caminero. Played all kind of played all over the diamonds, a little bit of third, a little bit of short, a couple games at second, played first base last year, didn't play at first base this year, but that was back in the Cleveland org, now in Tampa Bay, obviously. Had a nice little season kind of went under the radar. There's just so many good prospects in Tampa Bay. I feel like some of these guys kind of get fly under the radar just because of all the names. But look at the overall line here hit 306, 380 OBP, 464 slug. In a total of 224 plate appearances, about eh, about two thirds of that was at the complex level. Uh, overall, had eight home runs, ten steals, only caught once. Good walk rate, you know, 20 walks and 224 plate appearances, and kept the K rate down as well. Only 36 Ks to those 20 walks in 52 games overall. Eric, I believe, yeah, you were the one that got some live looks at Junior Camarero. Is he one that uh, people should stop sleeping on? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
he is. If not for a player that we're going to discuss in a few moments, he would have been my Florida Complex League MVP despite not playing the entire season down here. I'm really actually very surprised at the, the positive strikeout impressions that you just read because he swings for the fence and he hits it out of stadiums in a, in a league where over-the-wall home runs are not the majority. They're some, sometimes the exception. So very, very strong for this level. I, didn't, I don't remember him working counts. I remember him swinging at a lot of pitches, hitters' pitches, pitters', pitchers pitches and making contact, having a lot of multi-hit games. I do agree that he gets kind of left out in a loaded Tampa Bay system. But in a year from now, and maybe a year from a half from now, he'll be looked at distinctly differently. So Kevin Arrows, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is he's a hitter, but he's also a power hitter. So expecting power numbers is, is not out of the question. In the infield, I saw him at third and short, and balls got past him at both positions. I don't think he's heavy-footed, but I also don't I don't know if he's like a natural infielder, but I do think that offensively it's, it's not going to matter. Really, the, the first impression I got, the first contact I saw, I was like, you know, no matter how much Cleveland liked Tobias Myers, just to give up, he's not a lottery ticket type player. He's, you know, he's a, you see him, you see talent type player. So really, no matter what they thought of Tobias Myers, how did they do that that trade one for one? It's it's going to be something I try to figure out for a while, no matter where Myers' career goes, because Caminero's career and development is going to go like straight up. Yeah, it's just Tampa Bay just always seems to make the right moves, right? They they have great player development. They do a lot with a little, obviously, and making deep postseason runs over the last handful of years. So, yeah, I, I try whenever I see them. That's one of the organizations where I'm like, when you see them trade for somebody, you're like, all right, you know, maybe I should look more into this guy or something. Like, what do they see? If they if they see something good, they want right. to go and get him. Or maybe I should take a move. You know, pay more attention <laughs> to this player, so to speak. Bailey, any thoughts here? Yeah, so I like that Eric mentioned Tobias Myers because when I think of Cameronera, just the way they got him is just so interesting to me. Well, first off, they drafted Tim Beckham first overall over a decade ago. They should have taken Buster Posey. Never forgive them for that. But <laughs> bring up the one thing I'm like, I was just praising them. You're like, oh yeah, they drafted Tim Beckham. I'm like, yeah, you can't but, get them all. You can't win them all, right? Right. But they <laughs> traded Tim Beckham in 2017 for Tobias Myers. Tobias. Four years later, he became Rule 5 eligible after a career year, traded for Caminero. Caminero just had a career breakout year. And Tobias Myers was traded from Cleveland to the Giants, Giants. for cash and then was DFA'd by the Giants and is now a White Sox player. And uh, he's not having a good year. So it's just crazy. You know, maybe in a way the Tim Beckham pick is finally paying off. It's still a long way to go. <laughs> a decade but- later. Yeah, but, you know, I definitely rather have Caminero right now than Myers. Everyone listening, you know, take notes because this will be a quiz on all of that tomorrow. Like, who was traded for who? Who was DFA'd? Who's on what team now? Pay attention, everybody. It's going to be a quiz, pop quiz tomorrow. Fantrax pop quiz. Chris, where do you think you'll put Caminero in your next update? See, guys, I'm looking at my rankings here as well. I currently have him in, like, the 125, 130 range. I'm starting to wonder if that's not high enough. Maybe he's a guy that should be getting some top 100 love. Yeah, I think you can go as high as like top 75 on him. 
with even more room to grow. I think the talent levels there and we've, we've seen that. And obviously at the complex stellar, he's progressed. He's been solid even in low a. So while the numbers aren't as eye popping, I still really believe in the profile. So I think he'll continue to progress and just continue to move up ranking. So I would say in the 75 to hundred range is probably fair on him right now. We are talking about a prospect who did just turn 19 in low A. So, you know, he's appropriate age for the level at this point. And at the complex level, you know, being 18, really solid production there. So everything I've seen, I really love. I think the the contact skills are there. There's blossoming power. And even though I wouldn't say, like, the speed is, like, he's not going to be the fastest runner. Like, he's pr- very efficient on the base pass. So I think he could be effective in stealing bases at least for – you know, the earlier part of his career. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking I do have him too low. Just look at what he's done so far. Combined 2021 and 2022 in 95 games, got 17 home runs, 12 steals, hitting 301, 380 OBP. Walk rate's a tick over 10%. K rate well below 20%, closer to 15% than 20%. So yeah, approach is there. Good power, hitting for average. Even just even if there's only a handful of steals, it's something in the speed department as well. So yeah, definitely really like junior Caminero here. I probably bump him up a bit higher in my rankings, moving over to a guy that is absolutely top 100 for me right now. And probably, you know, even top 75 for some, probably the, one of the more impressive pitching breakouts of the 2022 season. Tink Hentz from the St. Louis Cardinals. Another name I like, Tink Hentz. This is a good name. He was a 2020 second round draft pick last year. Only pitched eight innings. I'm not even really going to look at that. But this year in the Florida State League for Palm Beach, 44 and a third innings, sparkling 1.62 ERA, 0.88 whip, and get a load of this, 71 strikeouts to just 12 walks. That's an 165 batters faced. As I pull up the handy-dandy calculator for some quick math, that is a 43% strikeout rate. And only a 7.3% walk rate. Oh, that my. is very, only give up one home run as well. Only 27 hits allowed in 44 and a third innings. Everything here, very, very impressive. And the stuff is equally as oppressive or more. Bailey, how, like, what's what's the ceiling for this kid? Like, obviously, he's, he's starting to get, he's on everyone's radar now. Like, do you think this is a guy that, like, even by, middle of next year we're talking about then kind of similar to how we're talking about guys like Kyle Harris and Andrew Painter now do you think he's got that type of upside in him absolutely I'm gonna try not to spend 10 minutes on him but I've been (laughs) going to minor league games for over a decade and the two best pitching prospects I've seen in person are Uri Perez and Tink Hens I went to Hens's debut back in May and was thoroughly impressed. Then saw him pitch a couple more times. And then in, I want to say June or end of May, I wrote an article saying he has ace upside. So I'd say that's my answer to your question. I think he could be a true ace. He pitched again tonight, four scoreless innings, one hit, one walk, six strikeouts. We have all those strikeouts on the Florida Prospect Pod Twitter account. So go check them out. Shout out to my dad for uh, getting the coverage for us. But yeah, I think my favorite part of his game is his reverse splits. He has faced 64 or 101 right-handed hitters, striking out 36, allowing a batting average against of 217, which is really, really good. And note that Tink Hens is a right-handed pitcher. You'd expect him to be better against righties. 
Then when you see lefties, 64 plate appearances, 35 strikeouts, 119 batting average, 172 on base, 170 slugging. That is a 55% strikeout rate, just completely insane. And when you watch it in person, it's even better just how his, uh, his curveball just lefties have literally no chance against it. I'm extremely high on him. I rank him as a top 10 pitching prospect in the sport and probably have him in a top 50 overall on a top 100 list. Just there's, you know, just so many positive things I can say about him. I think there's an argument that his fastball and curveball presently are 80 grade, definitely 70 for me. So yeah, just this is a guy you're going to you're gonna want to be in on before he really breaks out next year. I think the one, one more thing I want to note about him is he's not pitching deep into games. His first you know, handful of outings, he's only going three innings. And then the past couple, he's been going four. So, you know, the Cardinals have been very conservative with his pitch count. But, you know, in the innings he has pitched, he's just been one of the most dominant pitchers I've ever seen. Now, for everyone listening, I know you can't see it, but Bailey was like smiling that entire time. Like he's he is so proud, right? It's like it's like he's like a proud papa right now. <laughs> you could definitely see the the love you have for, for Tink Henson. It's absolutely deserved. Like, yeah, when you when you see electric stuff like that and an advanced feel for it at such a young age, like that's one thing that you know got me on like Yuri Perez too when he started showing better, you know, dropping the walk rate, showing better command as well. Watch out because these guys, when you have that combination of feel and stuff. Good things usually happen. Eric, do you share in Bailey's excitement for Tink Hens? Yeah, the one start that I saw of him was his contribution to a no-hitter against the Clearwater Threshers at Clearwater. So I got to watch him warm up. I got to see him execute. I got to video him. So uh, the one thing that I took away from him is he's a lot smaller than I thought. You know, most of the guys we're talking about are kind of big. Tink is not a tall or wide person. He also doesn't have, like, big legs or a big middle. So his 98 is extremely easy. Extremely. He can throw a 98 every pitch for five innings. That's amazing athleticism. So when he spends multiple months in a row with trainers, improving his strength, improving his endurance, and topping off the conditioning, I think it's somewhat – rational to think he might be normalizing like a 100 mile per hour game so he's great he looks like a one but he might be like an electric one when his development reaches the final stages so i only watched him once but i feel really lucky and i i i i I watch what he does through bailey and through his dad so they should be proud they were like the absolute very first on him and that's kind of like what we we pride ourselves on so true legit i know it's these are words we throw around so so much but legitimate ace potential yes that's i've been very obviously i have not seen tink hens live but every all the video and i've seen on him and then you know through you guys as well and if you want to look at you know any of these videos eric and bailey both from their individual pages on twitter and their the florida prospect twitter handle as well you go check out all that video. Usually, if you just Google like an easy way, go up in the search bar, search the handle with the at, and then like whatever player name you want to search, like at FL Prospect Pod Space Hence or something like that. You'll bring up video. That's usually how I find stuff is on Twitter. So, video and all these guys are talking about tonight can be found on any of those three pages. So, check that out as well. Now, Bailey, do you how do you pay your father for this video? Do you pay him in beer or like how do you, <laughs> how do you work that out? <laughs> 
I'll have to I'll have to get him get him back, get him some <laughs> some a ticket to a game. There you go. That's that's a good thing. We'll kind of he's your assistant right there, getting some video for you guys. That's awesome. I'll always love the family connection there. So do I. Yeah. So if you want to get the next, you know, you missed out on Andrew Painter, Kyle Harrison, Tiedemann, all these guys. You want to get the next one? Tink Hans is, he's it. Chris, how high do you have Tink Hans right now? And fast forward, even just middle of next year, do you think he's like top 25 overall? Yeah, he's he's sitting right at 60 for me. But that could move up even more. I mean, it's hard to argue. Like, you know, we keep going higher and higher on like Andrew Painter. I know Painter's at a higher level. So that obviously factors. But still, like you look at what this guy brings to the table and the results. And, you know, it's it's certainly there. So if, if the results continue as hence progresses up, you know, the levels, then he's going to push, you know, top 30 overall status and certainly be in that conversation of, you know, top five overall pitching prospect. Now, Bailey, real quick, I'll go back to you before we go into the next name here. So you said you already have Tink Hans as a top 10 pitching prospect, which I totally see why. Do you like him more than Andrew Painter right now? Ooh. Oh, that's such a tough one. Put you, know, <laughs> you on the spot. Because <laughs> Painter is in double A and is getting results. Man, I don't know if I can pick between them. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say I haven't seen Painter live, so I'm not gonna pick. But I like them both a lot. I'd probably put Painter a few spots ahead just because he is in Double A, but definitely not a knock on Tink. On Tink. That's fair. That's fair. Both very electric. Obviously, Painter a little bit more advanced. So yeah, I would give the nod to him as well. But hey, again, we could be talking about hence as the same way we talk about Painter, or even or even higher. Like yeah, I think he's definitely gonna get into that Painter, Tiedemann, Yuri Perez tier. Even like he's got that type of upside. So. Go out and get him the uh, the window to get him at any type of reasonable and not crazy price tag in Dynasty Leagues is closing in a hurry. Okay. All right, last name on the docket before we get to some other names that, you know, some of the more impressive names that the uh, both Bailey and Eric saw that we didn't have on the list here. But the last name we had on the list from my Boston Red Sox, Miguel Blyce. You know, I've heard from several different people that have, you know, within either the Red Sox org or – you know, just people that have you know been down there and seen him, or even just heard it from them, you know, from others themselves, that he was, if not the most impressive, like one of the most impressive players in uh, at the complex level this year in 40 games, 167 plate appearances, slash 301, 353, 543, 18 steals, only caught three times, 14 doubles, four triples, five home runs, 23 extra base hits total in 40 games. You know, a little bit ag- aggressive on the approach, only 10 walks to 45 Ks, but a lot of tools, a lot of projection. I know, Eric, you were gushing about him before we started recording here. What uh, what have been your thoughts on Blyce and, uh, you know, how good do you think this guy can be? Really, the best part of, like, watching the low minors is when you know a guy is good, but then you watch him and he just blows you away with with better. And if it wasn't Caminero doing that this year, it definitely was Blyce. He has every athletic gift you can bring to a sport. Speed in droves. He uses it offensively, and he uses it even better. I know this is not important for for fantasy. Defensively, you cannot hit it past him or over him. He is a true center fielder, and his routes are – they're not raw. They're not refined, but they are so good, and he just has the gifts – to make up for the the one or two missteps I saw him make. 
He has an awesome arm. He throws ahead and behind of people, and he can use it as a weapon. And then with the bat, I wouldn't say he's aggressive with those strikeout to walk numbers, but the results still come despite his not patient approach. So when guys transition in, through the low, lower minors, that doesn't always stay the same. But again, we've talked about Salem. They have a good system. They have a good offensive nucleus. He's another guy that I see just stepping right in and, and doing big, big, big things at A. I know he had a, a back injury, and because of how I am, I looked into it and asked a lot of people, and they said it really was a, a minor soreness type thing, and he doesn't need a procedure or any type of medical attention. Just rest and get back to a, a normal routine. So he is awesome. He is, he is so much better than, than I realized, and he's the kind of player that when you watch, it really only takes one, one good look to realize that. I love to hear that as a Red so Sox awesome. fan. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited. Like I said this system is on the rise, and you know the emergence of Sedan Rafael this year, kind of not out of nowhere, but definitely. What what, what were you gonna say, Eric? No, Rafael is so good, and he's, he's uh, another player like that. And yeah. Bryce is gonna be the next year's version of him. I'm confident. Yeah, absolutely. It would probably take me a little bit of time to see Blyce because I, I won't be able to see him until double-A. But yeah, very excited for when I do get to see him live. Because yeah, I've heard, everything I've heard, all the video I've seen, everyone I've talked to, yeah, it's just glowing report after glowing report. Bailey, anything to add to what Eric said? Yeah, so I was hoping to see Blyce when I saw Mikey Romero in mid-August. But like Eric said, uh, Blyce did get hurt, so I uh, didn't get a live look. But I did draft him in one of my deep dynasty leagues back in February 2021. 116th overall, and I've held him since then. So it feels pretty good to see all the reports about him being a five-tool guy. And, uh, you know, an interesting question I got on Twitter from one of my followers was, who would I rather have in dynasty between Miguel Blyce and Jose Salas? You know me, pretty high on Jose Salas. There might yeah, be some like bias there, but I really do like what I've seen. But honestly, I went Blyce, and I think it's simply because of the upside. I think Salas definitely has a higher floor, especially already being in high A, but I think Blyce has that five-tool potential, and he's a guy who can really rise up the rankings. And even if he doesn't you know, necessarily pan out, if he's a guy you have on your team, you can trade him while the value is high. So that's a guy I'd be targeting in Dynasty right now. And if you want some more excitement with Miguel Blyce, go over to our Patreon. Chris wrote an article earlier today. The huh. title of the article is Finding the Next Jackson Cheerio or Ellie De La Cruz. Obviously, the two biggest breakouts of this year, both maybe top five prospects right now. He put five names on here. I won't say the other four. You got to go over to our Patreon for that. But one of the five was Miguel Bryce. So, Chris, why did you include him on that? Well, the upside's tremendous, and you know it's hard to project anybody to ascend to those kind of levels. But when we're right. looking at, at the type of player that could, we're looking at somebody that has power, speed, and contact skills. And you know, Ellie De La Cruz may have questionable contact skills, but he produces. You know, he he puts up batting average despite the strikeout rate. And this is kind of what Miguel Blyce reminds me of. But some may be concerned about his strikeout rate at the complex level, but. It's not concerning to me when you look and you see he has an, an 86% zone contact rate. It's pretty impressive. He doesn't really chase that often. And the impact, the quality of contact is extremely good. He hits the ball really hard. His his 90th percentile EV is over 104 miles an hour, which 
for somebody his age is highly impressive. Just the combination of hard hits plus launch angle, like he, he just produces a lot of barrels. And I think he's just going to soar up rankings, especially when we see him at full season ball next season. He's really going to move up. The, the tools are there, and he's the type of player that you look for when you're looking for the next potential breakout prospect for fantasy purposes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm trying to look at where I have him in my rankings right now. Right now at this very second, I have him 92 overall. That's up from 156 at my last update about, I think it was about five weeks ago. I might Big even move. push him. What's that? Big move. Yeah, I, I like him. You know, maybe my Red Sox, I try to get my Red Sox bias out of it. But when I just keep hearing all these positive things from, not, not just positive, glowing things right. from, from everybody in the video. And, and then you look at the productions there as well. I think I think top 100 is warranted right now, and this is a guy that I think we could be talking about top 25 by the, the end of next year for sure. All right, a couple other names to round out the show that we haven't talked about yet. Let's go start with you, Bailey. What is the what's a guy that a top hitter you've seen this year that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, so I really liked Alex Ramirez of the um, saw him play. I want to say three times this year, and just a really impressive hit tool. Coupled with his speed and he has some pop, he was promoted to high A and he's a, he's only 19. So he's holding his own there. WRC, WRC plus of 104, you know, five home runs in 200 plate appearances. So, you know, not, you know, amazing stats per se, but slightly above average. And when he was in the Florida State League earlier this year, you know, way above average and was just, I think one game I went to, he had like three or four hits. So he left a really positive impression on me. I'd still rank him. As a top 100 prospect right now, I'm, I really do like that hit tool, and I think he has more room to grow in his frame. Yeah, he's a guy that I also have right around top 100. Actually, oh, he's 100 on the dot right now, up from 107, my last update. He's one of the names, obviously, you put out rankings, no matter how what type of ranks, rankings they are, how, how many players you rank. There's always like, oh, you should put this player higher, this player lower, etc. It's the nature of the game, but... A common name that I get almost every update where like people are like, hey, you didn't go high enough in this guy is Alex Ramirez. That's one of the more common names. And, I, and I've been slowly moving him up there. I think I, he's a very good talent. So, yeah, I'm running bull. Yeah, I think top 100 is very fair for him as well. Eric, how about you? Another top hitter you've seen this year that we haven't discussed yet. Orioles' most consistent everyday offensive performer in the FCL just turned 18 on August 13th. So he was doing that most of the time. As a 17-year-old, that's catcher Samuel Bassan, a name that dynasty players should familiarize themselves with pretty quick because his stock is going to rise next year and maybe even potentially after this interview with me. But he's very big. If you look at the website where it says he's 185 pounds, he needs to be reweighed. He's probably closer to <laughs> 235 pounds. He's like the size of a bouncer for an <laughs> and he's a great catcher. So like he didn't come out of the lineup often because he was their best and most defendable offensive performer, but he's a great catcher. So he controls the running game and helps the pitchers. And if they had another catcher to mix in, well, Sam Basayo is also the best first baseman on the team. He can scoop. He has his best skill is actually throwing. I don't like to use this word at all because it comes with a negative connotation, but his approach and his swing is what I would consider raw. It needs a great deal of refinement, but his contact ability is not in question. 
when he touches it, it goes because he's big. So his swing and his swing decisions are going to get better. But this year, the numbers that he put up in the complex league playing every day at 17, 280 average, 774 OPS, six home runs all over the fence, 37 strikeouts and 15 walks. So for a kid just beginning his his journey, he showed a lot of hit tool, but even more just devastating light tower power, Sam Basayo. Yeah, that's a name I've started to start creeping up my rankings as well. And people that look, you know, obviously he's a catcher now. Obviously they got some fellow named Adley Rushman. I think everyone's heard of him by now. I don't worry for for Dynasty. I don't worry about that. First up, Asayo is so far away. Like you mentioned, he he just turned 18. He's at least probably bare minimum like three and a half, four years away from the major leagues. Actually, he could move the first. So I'm not worried about that. People like sometimes I, I... been tweeting a lot about catching prospects recently because I just think there's so many good ones in baseball right now, a lot of exciting ones, and people are like, ah, catcher, moving on. I'm like, no, don't, don't. These guys are, they don't always stick. There's only 30 starting catchers in the major leagues. Not everybody can play catcher. Now we see like, maybe Soderstrom moves to first or corner healthy. We see Varsha move off. It happens. So don't worry about the catcher tags. Worry about the talent. And yeah, Basayo is definitely an intriguing one as well. How about a, a hitter that surprised you, Bailey? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to go with Brady Whalen of the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, 24-year-old first baseman. He's 6'4". He was drafted out of high school in 2016 in the 12th round. And then in 2018, made it to low A. Decent results, not otherworldly. Repeated the level in 2019 and had pretty similar results. 2021, he made it all the way to high A, but WRC plus of 103, nine home runs, 750 OPS, you know just kind of average, but then they sent him back to low A to start the year this year, put up a 146 WRC plus with a 288 batting average, 390 on base, 465 slugging, six homers, two steals. Looked like a completely different player. I saw him a couple of times, was really impressed. Then they sent him to high A Peoria where he continued to rake. And then they sent him all the way to double A and in 17 games is a 138 WRC plus with a 353 average. 393 on base, 549 slugging. And that's a 549 slugging without any home runs yet. So he's really impressing me. This could be, you know, like a, a late breakout type player, like, you know, maybe Jeff McNeil. I don't I don't think he's a, you know, Jeff McNeil in terms of the way he plays the game. Obviously, he's a first baseman, but just in terms of breaking out at a, you know, older age, not an older age, but for a prospect. But, you know, I think this is a guy who soon should be on people's radars if he keeps putting up these kind of stats. Yeah, and just look at what's happened with St. Louis recently. Like maybe not to the same level of with like Juan Yapez, Alec Burles, and guys like that. St. Louis is a kind of sneaky, very good player development org. So you know, maybe they don't have a lot of the sexy names that you look to. Well, Tink Hens definitely could fit under that, but they've done a very good job, kind of low key developing players over the last really decade plus. So it definitely uh, makes you feel better about some of these guys. Like I said, Yapez came up came out of nowhere it's almost same you know Burleson was a known name but he kind of shot up past expectations this year so definitely gives you a little bit more confidence talking about a guy like Brady Whalen how about you Eric player that surprised you this year I'm gonna go with a guy I was choosing between three pirates and I'm gonna go with the Bradenton Marauders most consistent offensive performer infielder Sung Che Cheng I expected him to – I started. he's a guy I started watching in the rookie league, so I expected him to transition to this level and have some success. 
But looking at his numbers, 87 strikeouts to 60 walks. That means his on-base is 380. He's slugging 435. He has plenty of extra base hits. That's 815 OPS, batting 278. 29 steals, so he can take a base basically whenever he wants if he only hits a single. This guy is awesome. I mean, he's he's not big. He's getting stronger. He's listed at 5'7". That's really kind of tiny. I don't think he's that tiny, but he bats third every night for a good team, and he keeps rallies going. In the field, he's a magician. He has great feet in either direction. He will not hurt you or mess you up at second or short. So he's a guy that should be on a little bit more radars. And also, like, among Pirates prospects, I watch them often. He's not in Pipeline's top 30. I have to be honest. That's a that's a real mistake. This is a guy that shows true projectable skills. I watch them night in and night out. So Pirates fans that know the minors know Chang is a an advanced hitter with a great feel for, for making contact. I love Chang. Awesome stuff, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. I gotta, I'll, I'll give you guys the floor real quick. You, if you want to go ahead and promote all the good stuff you're doing over on the Florida Prospect Pod. Yeah, so thank you again for having us on. I really enjoyed this episode. And yeah, so you can find us on Twitter at FL Prospect Pod. You can find Eric at Eric underscore Birdland. You can find me, XWO Bailey. The shout out my dad too. He's FSU Toby. Give him a follow. Yeah, so, you know, we go to games in Florida, record what we see and share it with everyone. So we hope you enjoy our, yeah, the, the show. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't honestly don't have a chance to listen to like many podcasts in general, but your guys is one that I have tuned into a handful of times. It's, it's great stuff. So if you want to get some good uh, firsthand accounts on a lot of these guys in the lower minors and in low A and in the complex level, this is the this is the pod to listen to for sure. So again, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. We hope all the listeners enjoyed it as well. I know I did, and I'm sure Chris did as well. You can follow us on Twitter, Chris at Rotoclegg. I'm Eric Cross zero four. And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of Chris and I's written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon, of course. And join us again next time for my fantasy baseball and prospect talk. But until then, everyone take care. fans. It's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to meachoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion?